G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The story. We're flying down to Melbourne and being a new pilot and not that familiar with all the uh, routines that you should follow, I got caught in the snowstorm. And yet we prayed and in the midst of this dire uncertainty as to what our future would be because we've got to get this plane down if we're going to live, there is a peace in the plane that knows that it's going to work out but you have not a clue how it's going to work out. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to the story where once again, Eric Scadabo and Sondi Ward chat with their friend Bud about yet another near-death experience he's gone through. Last time he was pinned under a tractor and this time, as we just heard, he was in a dire situation while piloting a small aircraft. We'll find out how he survives this one and other close calls with death today on the story. Bud is chatting with Eric and Sondi in our Melbourne studios. Bud, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Eric and Sandy. Glad to have you with us again. So there's more to the story. So not just the tractor incident. We're going to go all the way back to your childhood. Apparently, way back then, you had a near-death experience. Is that right? That's back right. in the United States? That's right. My parents had gone to pick up a friend of ours and uh, had driven up near the house. And it was a slight incline up this uh, sandy dirt road. And my parents had gone to the door and my sister, two older sisters and I were in the car. And for some reason, I don't know whether they were playing around or what happened, but uh, they knocked the car out of gear. And the car started rolling back down the hill. Well, their first thought was jump out. <laughs> and so yeah. being, being the little one in the family, two years of age, I thought, well, jumping out must be the right thing to do. And so when I jumped out, of course, being so small, I slid underneath the car. Oh, no. And the front wheel just ran right over my chest, and my parents are standing at the door wow. watching what's happening. Horrified. <laughs> they were. They thought it could have killed me, but uh, they rushed me to the hospital, and the doctor said, no, he's he's fit, he's fine. And <laughs> So when the tractor came on you, it's like, hey, well, it's just another vehicle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> In that sense, it was. <laughs> oh, boy. Wow. So, you, yeah, you, you've had vehicle experiences going yes. all the way back to your childhood. And that was in the United States? Yes, in Florida. Mm. And as we chatted, you came over to Australia in 1968? 68, about? yes. Okay. Yeah. And while you were here, you became a pilot, or how did that come about? Yes. Uh, previous to me coming, I had always wanted – My matter of fact, my grandparents called me Doc, and I grew up with this idea of, of being a gospel medical missionary, and I needed my pilot's license. I always wanted to fly, but uh, our family were very poor, and there was no way I could afford lessons. But just the summer prior to me coming to Australia, I was working with another friend, and a, a light plane flew over. And I just made a just a remark to him. I said, man, I'd love to learn how to fly because I always want to be a medical missionary, and mm-hmm. I could never afford it. And he just stopped, and he looked at me and said, well, you're a good worker. You're a hard worker. Why don't you go down to the airport and tell the guy that you'll, you're a good worker and you'll do anything for him if he'll teach you how to fly? 
well, that was a whole new concept to me. And it took a lot of courage, I can tell you, to drive down to that airport. But I did that afternoon. Yeah, because they could have thought, you know, who's who this? Who is this guy? Yeah, yeah, who is this guy? Well, what do you want? You know, and it could have been embarrassing. And that's what I was afraid of. Yeah. <laughs> you don't like to be told no when you have your hopes on the, the yeah. possibility. Anyway, I drove down there and told the fella I was planning to be a gospel medical missionary. I didn't have the money to pay for lessons, but I was a hard worker. And if I could work at the airport and that he would give me lessons – I'd love to do it. And so he didn't say anything to me. He just went over and picked up a broom. <laughs> and he said, well, let's see how good a worker you are. And so he pointed me to the uh, hangar, and I spent all afternoon sweeping that place out, uh, rearranging everything, dusting. So it was perfect and the best that I could do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with trepidation, I went back to the office hoping that he would say yes and – I told him that I'd finished and come and check and see if it qualified. Well, he just walked out, looked around, and he said, you're on. Wow. And so they rebuilt aircraft. They did maintenance. They did all kind of things. And I got to work with the mechanics. I got to fly in all kind of different planes. And in three months' time, I had a pilot's license. No. So you swept him off his feet. <laughs> <laughs> That's another way of saying it. That's a good one, Sandy. But, but getting back to the story here, you became a pilot. Through this experience, he gave you free lessons Well, in exchange for doing a lot of sweeping and other odd jobs that he had you do. Now, let's fast forward to the near-death experience in Australia. How did that come about? Okay. During that winter here in the Southern Hemisphere, a friend of mine wanted to go to a wedding, and another friend – they were friends of the bride and groom, and another one was a photographer, and they wanted to go down, and so – there so you're three, living in New South Wales We're at living the time? in north of Sydney. Mm-hmm. And so I said, well, let's fly down there. Fly to a wedding? Yep, fly to a wedding. And they had and confidence in you? I mean, how long had you had your license at this point? It's because I had had my license for about uh, eight months. Eight months? Eight months. And they agreed to get in the plane with you? <laughs> they agreed to get in the plane. That's because faith I'd, right there. <laughs> I'd taken some of them up previously. Oh, okay. Okay, they were familiar with because I'd done quite a bit of flying there at the college mm-hmm. uh, to get my hours up. And so uh, we're flying down to Melbourne. And being a new pilot and not that familiar with all the uh, routines that you should follow, I got caught in the snowstorm. Oh, and wow. now I don't know. We would be in and out of the uh, out of the clouds, didn't know where the mountains were, hoping to miss them. That's not sounding that good. <laughs> it's not sounding good. Because obviously there are a lot of mountains in that area. That's Mount right. Kosciuszko is yeah. in that area. That's right. And we're getting late toward the evening. The sun's getting lower and lower. And, of course, it sets early in in the winter. And uh, had tried many times as we broke out of the clouds looking for possible agricultural strips. Couldn't find anything. As we would come down lower, there was rocks, boulders. You know, there was no possibility of landing the plane. Now, you knew you were heading south, though. Yes, and so we're going to have to land somewhere. Before nightfall. Yeah, before nightfall. So you had enough fuel to get all the way to Melbourne if you went straight, was that it? Yes, if I'd have gone straight. So you're having trouble seeing and navigating, and you're running low on fuel? Yep. So and, something had to and happen. And because we're in a snowstorm, we're not going anywhere. We're just going in circles. Oh, you know, we're, I we're see. Just, right. okay. So we're losing time. We're lo- you know, losing fuel. Fuel. Oh, okay. And so, uh, yeah. And yet we prayed. And in the midst of this dire uncertainty as to what our future would be, because we've got to get this plane down if we're going to live, 
and uh, there is a peace in the plane. I, mm. I can't describe it. There's an indescribable peace that knows that it's going to work out, but you have not a clue how it's going to work out. And you're running out of time. You're running out of fuel. And you're all Christians in the plane. Yeah, we're all Christians in the plane. And it's right on dark now. And I, we break out of the clouds, and I can see way down in the distance a little place called Swift's Creek. I didn't know it at the time, but later on we discovered that's what it was. I saw this light come on, and I knew that there was nothing between me and that light, so I was safe. So you knew there wasn't a mountain that's top right. There's between no mountain you and that here. light. Yeah. So we head down toward that light, and just at dusk I fly over this little village, and right behind the row of houses – I could see was an agricultural strip. And for people who don't know, that would be one of those strips that the pilots used to spray the crops. and That's right. So Dust, yeah. Crop dusters and spray. Yeah. Yes. But as I came over that strip, I discovered that they had halfway down the airstrip, they had put a fence straight across. That's not good. <laughs> so now only <laughs> past, half the distance of land. And then they'd put power lines. So you're thinking this is the answer to our prayer. This is a airstrip. But you see there's a fence going right through the middle of it. That could be a problem. <laughs> That's right. And then the second problem was there was a power line. And oh, so, wow. And so now we have to pray a double. So, you know. so if obstacle number one doesn't get you, obstacle number two might get <laughs> That's you. That's right. What did you do? And so I'm praying, Lord, you've got to get us down because we only have half the distance. We've got to stop that plane before the end of the runway because there's a fence there and a gate. And so – I had to come around and go under the power lines. Under over the, the power fence. line. This is yeah. like a trick thing that you see in the movies. <laughs> had you ever done anything like that before? No, never before. They didn't teach you that in pilot no, school. But I, it's God. That's all I can say. There was a confidence. There was a you – know, you didn't think about it not working. It mm. was going to work because you have to judge your airspeed, everything, putting that plane down. And so I came in under the power lines, over the fence, and dropped it down as fast as I could – and hit the brakes before we got and stopped right at the gate. Oh, wow. And then everybody burst into tears or into <laughs> applause <laughs> or both. It sounds like a real life Mario Brothers game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yes, with extra points for surviving. Absolutely. Yeah. So then once we landed, I had to call the airport and tell them, you know, our flight plan was canceled and where we were and that mm-hmm. we would uh, continue the next morning. So then the next morning, we discovered that they had moved the agricultural strip up on the side of the mountain. And so – In a flat area, I'm yeah, hoping. Yeah. So another fellow with a ute volunteered to take my three friends and drive them up to the airstrip. And I would take the plane off. So I had half the distance to take that plane off, again, over the fence, underneath the power lines. Oh, you had to do it twice. Yes. <laughs> Why couldn't <laughs> you go land and over the power lines? I didn't have enough distance to get that height. Oh, <laughs> Because right. we only had half a runway. Uh. So that was half the battle. I mean, you still had to get out of there. Yes, had to get out of there. Yeah. And so then I had to fly up. This was a new experience, too, because this agricultural strip was on the side of a, quite a steep hill in there in the mountains. And there were sheep covering it. So I had to fly over, scare them, <laughs> you know, run the sheep off of it, and then come around again and land into, you know, into the hill. Wow. I'd never done that before. And again, we loaded up and took off. And <laughs> So the reason the fence was across the, the that agricultural street, the first one, was because it wasn't no longer in use. That's right. Yeah. It was no longer in use. Yeah. 
And that was just the one that you happened to see. That's right, because I didn't see the other one. Mm. Fuel was running out, getting darker. Yeah. You had to do something. Yeah. So the next morning, once we took off, then we flew to Sail, got more fuel, and then flew to Moorabbin, and then after the wedding, back to Sydney. Yet another near-death experience from our guest, Bud. <laughs> and, and we're very glad you're here. <laughs> yes, yes, we you're listening to The Story, where today we're hearing some miraculous survival stories. We just heard how Bud had a close call while piloting a plane. Next, we'll hear a near-death experience he had with malaria after spending some time in Africa. That and more when we return. The Story... If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401-132-888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. We're continuing with Eric Scatterbo and Sondi Ward's conversation with their friend Bud, who has had quite an interesting life, full of near-death experiences. Next, Bud shares about yet another brush with death, this time after visiting Africa. Now, in 2006, I understand you had another experience. Please share with us about that. Yes, I was uh, doing evangelism in Nigeria and uh, the pastor that was going to do the baptism wasn't available at that particular time. And so the only place that they could find to conduct the baptism was in you know, just a uh, pool of water, now we a should, stagnant pool of water. Now, we should say for people who didn't hear our last conversation that you are a pastor, yes. and so you do missions trips and evangelistic trips from time to time. Yes. So you went to Nigeria in Africa? Yes, and the only place they had to do baptisms was in a stagnant pool of water. That's right. I was a bit worried when I heard baptisms in Nigeria. I thought, oh, well, this is going to be a crocodile story, but it isn't, is it? <laughs> no, 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 not a crocodile. Not this time. <laughs> it was too small for that, but it wasn't too small for the mosquitoes. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I didn't think of that. I wasn't aware of mosquitoes because I hadn't – we really hadn't had – any mosquito bites. A That's very pleasant. Strange. Yeah, it was. In the tropical but, area? Yeah, it was a very pleasant uh, atmosphere. I, I thought there would be a lot more mosquitoes, but there weren't. And I think it was this particular time of year. So I was not even consciously thinking of mosquitoes until after that. I was visiting some friends in Switzerland, and we had driven up into the Alps to go hiking. And uh, oh, we'd hike for about half an hour or more, and, and suddenly I just, it's like you turn the lights out. I, I had no energy. I was consciously aware. Uh, I'm quite alert, but I had no energy to do anything. So I, I just had to lay down on the trail. It just hit you. Yeah. Wow, and you had to lay down? I had to lay right down. Right there on the I mountain? couldn't even sit up. I had to lay down. It was a beautiful summer day. I said to my friends, you go on, and I'll, I'll be all right. Because I didn't, I'll just collapse I wasn't here. sick. No. I didn't feel – I had no chills. I had no fever. There was nothing that indicated that suggested to me that you're sick, something's wrong with you. You just I thought you just, were exhausted. That's right. Yeah. I just thought, wow, I'm just exhausted. And if I lay here for a while, I'm bound to get better. Mm-hmm. My energy is going to come back. Yeah, and, just catch your breath. Yeah, and I'll be able to go on. Well, I lay there for an hour. And I just had enough energy to say, I think I'm going back to the car. (laughs) I can't go up the mountains. And so I made it back to the car, 
And I was there for two days in their home and just getting weaker and weaker. But there was no indication that I was sick. And finally, my wife in Australia called and said, you have to get to the hospital. I don't know what's wrong, but you've got to get to the hospital. And so by that time, I was so weak, they had to call an ambulance. Oh, wow. Wow. So you're really going downhill. Yes. And uh, then when they got me to the hospital, they solved it within a matter of minutes. They just said, where have you been? Nigeria. Oh, well, test you for malaria. Sure enough, the test came back. I had the worst type of malaria. About 50% of people die the first time they get it. Hmm. It attacks the uh, membrane of, as I understand, it attacks the membrane of your red blood cells, and there's no oxygen. And you just, you're just weaker and weaker and weaker until you finally die. And so they treated me. They gave me everything that they could, as much as they could, uh, without destroying the liver. And as I understand it, it goes in cycles. I think there's three cycles. Anyway, I go through this cycle, and I'm going down, and they can't stop it. And they think I may die then. Hmm. But then I come back out of it, and uh, then I go into another cycle. And so they called the family here in Australia and said, if you want to see him before he dies, because there's nothing more we can do. And so two of my sons came to Switzerland. Uh, then I, I came up again and uh, recovered. But they were certain I was going to die because there's nothing more, and I kept going lower and lower in those three cycles. But uh, you and I can't die until the Lord's ready for mm. us. Yeah, absolutely. No matter what happens, nothing can take you out mm. until God is ready. So going back to last time, you had the near-death experience with the tractor falling on you, run over when you were two years old? Yes, too. The miraculous flying experience going under the power lines and over the fence and managing to land. And then, of course, this experience where you said about 50% of the people who have that type of malaria pass away. And the other 50% don't have any side effects, apparently. No. Once you have that malaria, it never comes back again. Mm. And you happen to have the good kind, if you can call it a good kind. But I can't ever donate blood. (laughs) Oh, is that right? Okay. So just looking back over all these experiences, what are your reflections? What do you think the Lord is trying to tell you? Through each one, particularly the last one with the tractor, that God is teaching me to trust, no matter what the circumstances are, that our life is safe in his hands. He has a purpose and a plan for our life, and nothing can take you out. Nothing. No matter how painful it is, no matter how cold you are, no matter how uncertain you are in flying in that plane, you know, knowing we had to land and yet finding no place, no place, no place until that light came on. Hmm. God says, trust me. I may come through at the last minute, but I will come through. Hmm. Just trust me. I will, I'm there with you. I will always be with you. And don't worry about anything because I am here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That reminds me of a line I read in one of my devotionals a couple of days ago. It said, In God you were in a fortress, the walls of which no enemy can penetrate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mm-hmm. I just love that picture, you know, of complete and utter safety. It's interesting that I just read something previous to you too about that the fort is one wall, mm-hmm. but a fortress is the double walls that nothing can penetrate. Wow. And God says, I am the fortress. Yes, he is. Now, having said that, looking at some of your experiences, sometimes you escaped unscathed uh, in the airplane, for example. 
it was really scary, but you just walked out of the airplane. Other times, you spent 18 hours with a tractor on your arm crushing you. But no matter how much the how severe or extreme the pain, God will never allow that to destroy my mind mm. and my confidence and trust in him. I just read an interesting story of Fox's Book of Martyrs. I'd often wondered when people are burned at the stake or tortured, how painful is that? And he gave two stories of instances of people, one man in particular. Uh, he had told his friends, because they, they wanted to know, if the pain is extreme, would you signal us in some way and let us know that you're feeling this pain and how bad it is? And so he, he, he told him he gave him the signal that he would raise his hands if there was no pain. If there was no pain. If there was no pain. And so here he is being burned at the stake. His hands are down to the bone. The flesh is burnt off. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Flesh is being burnt off of his body, and he knows he's going to die. And so the people who were burning him at the stake, they were rejoicing to finally get rid of this man. And the torture that he's going through, you know, they they were just delighted that he was being tortured. And just before he dies, before he expires, the friends who were waiting for that signal didn't come, it didn't come, it didn't come. And then just before he he slumps into the fire and and expires, he raises his hands Mm. and he claps. Wow. Three times. That he had no pain. And I say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for what Jesus says is coming to those who are faithful to him, the torture that is coming, that he will never allow us to suffer beyond what we can humanly bear. Yeah. And, of course, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Bible. And going back to your experience last time underneath the tractor, you had a piece that the emergency workers commented on that they had never found somebody who had gone through something similar to what you had gone through, but still with that peace to have presence of mind, and that it practically helped you. That's right, because Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and if he is with us, then we have to be at peace. And that peace is simply knowing that he is God, and that he is controlling all the circumstances, and it's all going to turn out for his glory. Yeah. And he loves us. That's the one thing. God loves you and me. He's like a parent, a a tender-hearted parent who doesn't want any suffering to come to his child. And uh, he will not allow it to come to us except that degree of which is necessary to teach us greater trust in our Heavenly Father. Mm -hmm. And though we're going to go through the the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Mm. And we began uh, in our first interview with that that text, Psalm 56, verse 3, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Amen. That's such a comforting thought to dwell on and think about when we are going through hard times. Absolutely. Thank you once again for sharing your stories with us today. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Bud. And also thank you once again, Sandy, for introducing us to Bud and for co-hosting the program with us today. Yeah, my pleasure. Once again, that comforting Bible verse Bud just mentioned is Psalm 56, verse 3. What time I am afraid, 
I will trust in thee. A verse that has been instrumental in helping Bud get through one fearful experience after another. And the good news is that that assurance of God's faithfulness is there for all of us when going through similar circumstances. Well, thanks for joining us for Bud's miraculous survival stories. I hope they've been of some encouragement to you. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. The letter from the GP said I had two years to live. I had to hand that to my insurance company. They wanted evidence from my neurologist, and I had three of them give me the test and the GP. And the letter was sitting in the front seat of the car, and the Lord spoke to me, you know, very clearly through my mind and my spirit he said phil this is not a death sentence this is a visa that i want you to use to go into a people group pastor phil camden was devastated to discover that he suffered from motor neuron disease he'll share the impact it has had on his life and how he feels god has provided him with an opportunity to reach other sufferers with the gospel that and more next time the story, the story. just another way vision is connecting faith to life This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.